Alex Baxi's musical podcast. As you know, there are times when the only appropriate thing that you can do after a long, hard, arduous day is to set aside all those musty copies of Peaceful Easy Feeling or Bob Seger's Night Moves or anything on the Billboard Top 40 and smash that needle down on some neck-searing thrash metal records from the Big Four. Not that there's anything wrong with that other stuff. It's just sometimes you need something a little heavier, maybe even a lot heavier. The Big Four, of course, were Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Now, Anthrax were a New York-based thrash metal band that has not only been together for the last 40 years, they're also a band that in many ways were the boldest of the bunch, incorporating unbelievable skill, speed, great songwriting, a wicked sense of humor, but perhaps more importantly, a fearlessness that the other dudes in those other bands could barely dream of getting away with. From their classic albums like Among the Living, Persistence of Time, and Spreading the Disease, to their exceptional covers, hilarious B-sides, to their groundbreaking work, with Public Enemy, Anthrax, with Scott Ian, Charlie Benante, Frank Bello, Joey Belladonna, and even those years with John Bush, Anthrax have always been freaking beasts. But like many things, sometimes life takes you in different directions, just like it did to bass player Frank Bello following the murder of his younger brother Anthony in 1996. Frank has written about that period in his life and about his family and his career in a very powerful autobiography entitled Fathers, Brothers, and Sons. Surviving Anguish, Abandonment, and Anthrax. It's a remarkably brave story, and there's loads of other great stories in it, too. And we're going to get to some of those with Frank Bello from Anthrax. He's my guest today on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Michael! There we go, Frank. We got it going. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Uh, you know what? I... I've had problems with the with the machines all day. I feel better now. Yeah, it's not. Thank it's, you. It's not you. Definitely not you. Okay. I'm technically challenged, so I apologize. I am too. I believe it or not, I run a podcast on Pro Tools. Wow. Which is ridiculous that I even. It's like it's like a nine thousand pound gorilla for like a, a job that could be done by an idiot, and it's like it's it's just too much for for what I do. But nevertheless, how does that work? How, how does that actually? Is that tough? It sounds tough, man. I, well, I'm not I, good with pro tools. It's you know what? It's a it's a it's a it's a long learning curve, and the sure. uh, the radio station I, I I work for here in Springfield, everyone oh. agrees, it's more than I will ever possibly need to do a podcast. I would imagine, yeah, yeah, but, but I like I like the effort. It's all it, it's all business, Frank. All business, <laughs> as usual. What else is new? Welcome to welcome to America. No kidding. Hey, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I uh, first of all, I cannot believe that Anthrax has been around for forty years. I mean, me either. Dude. You, 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 and I are only uh, about a year apart, and I guess that makes you really old. I am. I feel it. Look, the grays and the beard, yep. the whole thing, the sideburns. I just, I, I welcome it. At this point, hey, it's gonna happen. Neither of us can stop it. Let's enjoy the ride. That's it. <laughs> That's it. But, you know, the thing about you know, that's that's so cool about it is, you know, obviously with with COVID and all the interruptions, the fact that you guys are still, you know, you're I know you guys are working on a record. You're, you're talking about touring. And I think, you know, after all this time of of people quarantining and staying home, the idea that 
you know, bands are getting busy again and seeing yeah. the light at the end of the tunnel is really great stuff. Yeah. You know, Mike, the, 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 the thing is I'm a fan too. I, I want the same as you. I, I'm, I'm that guy. I can't wait to see shows. We just played a show on Sunday, you know, welcome to Rockville. It was wonderful. It was awesome. Love the vibe. It was, it was Metallica, a bunch of us, you know, a bunch of the bands. It was great getting together to see my friends, Mastodon, all my friends I hung out, hung out with James. It was, it was a good time. Now to go home from that, instead of being on a tour is very, very difficult. Cause they, it's like a taste. You get the tease. Right. It's great. It was a great show. Ma- massive amount of people it was great. All right. good. But then when you get on that plane home, you realize that's the last show of the year, honestly. And that's tough. Yeah. That's tough because nobody knows you and I right now, as we speak, I can tell you anthrax has a European tour book, full on tour, full on. We're going for it. It's going to be great. I can't tell you right now that I'm really, I don't know if it's going to happen. I want it to happen, but somebody can pull that rug right, you know, at any time. It's, and it's, that's life. It's funny when I was on the Anthrax website, because I, I wanted to see what the dates were and where you guys were going. I saw it was in, in Europe, but you're not everybody updates their website. So I literally had to see, are those 2020 dates that just haven't been changed? I mean, they're so far in advance. It's, you know, beginning yeah. like a, like next September or whatever it is, but, but it's, but, and it, but yet it, the fact that you are doing it, it at least shows some encouragement that there's some optimism that these things could happen. Absolutely. And I'll tell you in advance, Mike, you have to, you have to get these shows in advance to hold the halls because yeah. there's so many bands. Think about it. All the bands are waiting. Everybody, we're all waiting to open up and get out there and play. So every band in the world it wants to book these specific halls. So you literally have to put it on sale now or we've been on sale for over a month now i think you have to because everybody's gonna if it could happen again i have to say that if it can happen and i pray it does because i want to come to america i want to do the whole world thing we haven't done it it's time i want to have a new record out all good things right we all want this stuff together you and i can't say yes because we know we can't say we know it's going to happen right and i hope it does dude i hope so too so you know i i I read the book uh finished it over the weekend I really, I really, really liked it. And one of the things I liked about it is, you know, I, I, I wind up reading a, a, a ton of these autobiographies and a lot of them I'm are, sure. a lot of them are really good. And a lot of them are not so good. And you're hearing like, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, slapping on the back and egos and stuff like that. But the one thing about that I noticed about your book, there's a lot of things I noticed about your book, but one of the, the prevailing things is Frank Bellow sounds just like a normal, regular guy, just louder. That's really hard to do to accomplish in your very first book. So congratulations. That is so well put. That is so well put. I, got, I have to tell my wife that line. I have to tell my mom that line. They're both going to love that line. Because, look, I don't, Mike, I don't pretend to be anybody I'm not. I'm just the guy that's talking to you right now. I'm not a rock. I don't consider myself a rock star. I'm a, I'm a musician. Look, I work hard. Yep. We all work hard to get what we have to get. But uh, we've, we've had a lot of luck, too, in there. A lot of hard work, success together. Uh, I, I'm very fortunate. I'm humbled by the, the level we got to. I, but I know there's another level. We, whatever that level is, I want to get to it. So the, the work ethic is there. So, yeah, it is loud because of that. Exactly that. <laughs> it has to be because if you don't project and get it out there, nobody knows anything. Yeah. And you know, one of the uh, the other things that, uh, that I totally connected to, and like I said, you and I are about the same age. I think we're, you know, probably, you know, eight or nine months apart, but uh, was this unnatural, potentially unhealthy obsession in the 1970s 
with Kiss and uh, your story <laughs> about uh, tracking down Gene Simmons is absolutely freaking priceless. If I if I if I knew I could make my way to the Bill of Coin offices in New York, I would have been right with you two guys. I it, it, unbelievable story, Mike. This is why there's so many there's so many people coming to me, Kiss fans. Kiss fans are relating to this book. It's so great to hear from them because they know we're Anthrax, we're diehard Kiss fans. And Gene obviously wrote the forward to my book, which I'm still honored by. Believe me, it's it's awesome to have that circle come back. He did a great job with it too. He really did. He did. It's yeah. it's poignant. It's 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 so heartfelt, and nobody really hears Gene talk like that. Um, so, uh, I when I first read that, and the moment I, when Joel told me that Gene said yes, first off, I was I was so psyched. I was so psyched because it didn't really, it, I didn't even think it existed that Gene could write something for me. And when he wrote the way he wrote it, and to be honest with you, Michael, when I saw that Gene was listening to my bass playing, the 15 year old Frank Bello went, ah! you know, it was like, <laughs> he's actually identifying and picking out my bass parts in, yeah. in the forward of my book. Well, it was a big deal. What I think is incredible is like, you know, so you guys track uh, Kiss down. Your friend somehow has this inside information of where they're going to be. And lo and behold, they show up. And at some point, you keep going back. He brings you into the studio. He allows you to listen to songs that haven't been released yet. And then years later, he remembers you. Like, you know, of, of all the people that Gene Simmons has, has met or has had sex with, it's Frank Bello that he remembers. <laughs> At 15 years old. I think that's I amazing. You, let me go to the depths here. This is how insane it is for me. So from the 15-year-old kid waiting in front of a coin management on 57th Street, waiting, freezing my ass off with my friend Tom, waiting for my heroes, Kiss, to come out and be Kiss. They're, my heroes are coming out, and I can see them. Dude, look how pathetic I am with this. It really is to this day. And I have to tell you this. Gene is one of the guys that you want to meet because he's very informative. He's very, uh, as a matter of fact, he knows you're a fan. He relates. And that's what taught me. It taught me from way back then, if I ever made anything in this business, any kind of success, that's the way to go. Another guy that taught me that, Steve Harris, when I met him, yep. they taught me to be one-on-one, -on -one. just be human, just be you. And don't try to be, oh, I'm, I'm elevated. I'm a right. No, but there's no time for that. For me, there's no time for that. I understand there's rock stars out there. I'm not, I can't be that. Look, all, all this is, I'm a musician. I want to, I want to make people feel good with my music. That's what it is. That's what, that's what the deal is. I think there's also a real value in the connection with the, with the individual. Cause anybody can blow off another guy and say, well, you know, I, I got a million fans. What's, I don't need one. But yet every time you have a great experience with one of your heroes or with a celebrity, it's almost like a, like an Amway pyramid scheme. It winds up having these long tentacles where you, you are, you are selling yourself and you will be a fan of kiss for the very rest of your life. And that's, and, and that really is where that connection builds bad experiences. They will never go away. The good experiences stick with you forever. Because think about it. If you have a bad experience with a person, why would you want to be addicted to somebody that's cherishing that time with you that, right. that buys right. your records that buys your merchandise all that stuff that supports you and likes what you're doing so for me look we all have our bad days and maybe you know you're, you're sick or something you have to get going fast i try to make time wherever i could 
But at the end of the day, I don't want to be, I'm just not that guy anyway. In life, I don't want to be a dick. <laughs> That's the truth. I don't want to be a dick. I want to, well, you, well, fucking you, we all put our pants on the same way. Yeah. So I just, I just think like we have this connection together, fan and musician, and I think it's important we build the energy together. I really do. So let me, let me tell you my kiss story. Um, my, I love them. My very first concert would have been February 3rd, 1978. It was the Love Gun Tour at the Providence Civic Center in Rhode Island. And uh, my parents took me. And I remember my dad saying, I can't believe we're spending $15 on a, on a ticket for a rock show. But <laughs> my parents wind up liking the show more than I did. And you know, I loved it. I mean, it was, like, uh, it was like the greatest spectacle I had ever seen. My parents absolutely loved it. Fast forward eight months, and this is going to also... Uh, uh, connect with you a little bit too that same year uh they take me to go see neil diamond at the providence civic center that's the same awesome. year if you'll remember 1978 where he had that duet with barbara streisand you don't bring boom. me flowers and of boom. course i remember this yes and i know that that frank bellow of anthrax is a huge barbara streisand fan Let's say that again. Michael, let's say that again. Frank Bellow from Anthrax is a huge Barbara Streisand fan. It is maybe, I love it. It is maybe one of the top three revelations in your entire book. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, hey, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I own that, Michael, because in those dark times that I had when I was younger, and this is how it all happened. This is why her voice soothed me and everything like that. So when, when my mom and dad, they were having problems in the early days, right? When the divorce, it was happening. You know, all that ugly stuff, a lot of yelling in the house, a lot of screaming. All I did want, was want to get away from it. I found shelter with these head, little headphones, not like anything now, but there was little headphones and I had my little tape recorder. And who was on, who was on that made me, who was hot back then that made me feel better? When I heard her voice, it kind of blocked all that out. It's just weird. So I connect that with buffering that pain yeah. buffering so barbara's voice was always soothing to me and i carried it all through my life when i'm in a bad mood dude i'm putting on evergreen you know what i mean <laughs> i'm putting on one of these great songs because it kind of takes me to that place it's my 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 island it's like okay i'm gonna be okay everything's all right <laughs> to this day that still works hey uh if i ever met her i would thank her it, that's like or, that's like one of those stories, like when you hear like you know Al, one of Alice Cooper's best friends was Glenn Campbell. You're like, what? Really? They, I love. They, they love. Isn't that I know, but it's absolutely true. It's like it, 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 like the the person that you would least expect would be in your record collection is right oh. there. So I think and I have. I'll go forward with it. I have the whole record collection of Barbara, <laughs> all all of it, and I'll be honest. I followed everything she's done because I honestly think she's the best singer that's ever lived. In, yeah. In, in, and I just do. That's. I mean, I know I'm, I sound like a grandfather right now. Not yet, but <laughs> no, you just but, sound like a guy but, who's been in radio in music for forty years. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. So for me, yeah, I wear that proudly. And you know, I know, I know you're supposed to be heavy and think this way. Frank can't like. You know what, dude? I'm sorry. I like it. I'm being honest with you. I've never lied. I'm not interested in lying. That is me. You got. You have nothing to apologize for. We we all we all have something in our record collection that we probably don't want everybody to know about, but we'll die on that hill every day. Every it made day you life. though. The way I look at it, it made you who you are. It brought you up to have look something. It fills something in your life. That's the way I look at music. Different kinds of music. It's important to put it in the sponge that is your head and have it throughout throughout your life. That's what it came, That's what it does for me. 
it's 40 years, so that puts uh, that's 1981. That puts me as a freshman in high school, and I think I've been following Anthrax pretty regularly since I think the second record, which is uh, wow. you know, when you stepped in. And uh, you know, the thing the thing about Anthrax that I think has has always kept them has made them so important and so relevant. And, and you, you always talk and hear about you know the big four, but I think what mm-hmm. separates you guys is the sheer audacity of the music you choose to present and, and, and maybe not even just your own, but the fact that you've busted through multiple genres, uh, you know, fusing like, you know, thrash metal and, and hip hop. I mean, that, that was, you know, I remember hearing I'm the man for the first time and thinking, Oh my God, one, this is hysterical Two, Uh, I also am so bad. I needed to be in detention, but thinking this is absolutely genius because no one else is really doing this. And as weird as it sounds, it sounds like the right thing to do. Same thing when you guys play with uh, Public Enemy and do Bring the Noise. It's like, to me, it sounded so much more relevant than Aerosmith playing with R- Run DMC. There was just something uh, you know, really world-changing about that. I, I love the fact that we, um, and thank you for those kind words. For me, with Anthrax, I'm a, I'm a fan of my band because I like that we push the envelope. You never say you can't do anything. Why not? Why, we're, we're in this, this business to spread, spread it out and see what happens next. Look, for me, the, I'm the man. That was supposed to be the Beastie Boys. You know that, right? Yeah. I don't know if you know that. That was actually supposed to be the Beastie Boys for I'm the Man. It was happening. <laughs> Schedules didn't happen. So Charlie Scott and I literally got in a, a room as small as this together and did it. One, two, three, a la Beastie Boys. And it, and it turned into this huge thing. It blew up and it was all good. But we we obviously diehard Beastie Boy fans. Public Enemy, Scott got me into, made me hear Public Enemy for the first time. I was sold. Chuck's voice alone, all you have to do is hear that voice. That is heaviness. Chuck's voice is heavy. That's We just did Comic-Con with him. We just talked about all these great times, the tour we did, the what, what emphasis, what, what, what it did for people. It's a big deal for us. Um, so and it's a big, big deal for a lot of people out there. So f- when I hear that people say we're innovative, I love that. I wear that as a, as a medal. I do because um, I think it's important to keep keep researching and keep reaching for other things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's important. Like even the covers you guys have chosen to do. I mean, you could do you know Iron Maiden covers till you're blue in the face, but sure. the fact that you're taking Joe Jackson. Or, or Cheap Trick, which is, you know, Arvita Zane is one of my favorite songs. Oh, I love awesome. Cheap Trick. And it's like, I love you, Cheap Trick. When, you, when you guys do a song like that, it's like, you know what? That's freaking cool. And, and like, for example, Metallica, the Garage Band EP is still probably one of my favorite EPs of theirs. I mean, because who's, who's playing the Misfits and Killing Joke? Nobody but those guys. They expose that music. Uh, exactly. That's the great thing about it. You can expose this music that doesn't really get the popularity that it should in the spotlight. So and turn people on. I love turning people on to different music. It's That's what we're doing, man. Before the Internet, you know, that's how it was done. Hey, check this out. Check this tape out. That's how it was done. Word of mouth. I love that stuff. And it, I hope it continues. You know, it doesn't just have to be Internet. It could be, hey, man, check out this band. It's really cool. You know, there's a I mean, there's a number of, uh, of amazing stories in, in the book and, and and the obviously the the big one is the one that's that's getting the most headlines and and you know the thing that I that I that I loved about your book and and this is the, the number one thing you're talking about stuff in in this book that is profoundly vulnerable I mean you're you're opening up yourself in a way that most 
celebrities could never quite do. It's a very, very bold way of talking about the abandonment of your father uh, and, and the murder of your brother in, in, a, in a way that you look at it and you go, oh, my God, I did not expect that story. And I didn't expect Frank to be as open about it and, and, and as specific about it. And I think that's that's it was a remarkably courageous decision to include those specific chapters in the book. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, for me, when I sat down with Joel MacGyver, my co-writer, um, I just said, I wanted, I want to be honest. Number one is honesty, truthful and get it all out. Cause I had this thing hanging over me, you know, and I guess I'm in a reflective, you know, we talked about our age now, I guess I'm in a reflective time in my life. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to pay it forward. Um, I wrote a song a long a while ago when my, my brother died, when my brother passed. It's called Pieces. Um, we put Anthrax put it on volume eight, a hidden track on volume eight. So it's like a it's like an Easter egg. If you check it out, you go look for it on volume eight. There's a hidden track at the end of the record. It's uh, called um, Pieces. I wrote it after my brother died, uh, after he passed. He was murdered, as you know, um, and I, I I didn't say goodbye to him. Uh, so we had a tour three weeks after he was murdered. We had to do, otherwise we were going to lose a lot of money. The band said, no, Frank, we'll cancel it. I said, no, let's not. My mom said, go on tour. Your brother would want that. And I thought, my brother, he was a, he was a huge Anthrax fan. He would, say, he would always say, no, go do the tour. So I did the tour, but all I asked the guys, I said, look, I'm, I, I want to do the tour. Just let me go in because I was, I was really bad. And I just said, just let me go in my room. Let me cry. When it's showtime, come get me for the show. And let, just right after the show, let me go right back in. I did that. They were great with me. And when I was in the room in Japan, I wrote this song saying goodbye to my brother because I didn't get a chance. Yeah. And from, I get so many letters and comments about that song, about people, it helps them heal. It helps them deal with their losses. A lot of people out there with loss of, of loved ones. That that song, for some reason, has really struck a note. And I'm, I'm very proud of, to hear that. It makes me feel better about doing it because it went longer. It did more than I thought it would just yeah. for me because it was for me and people are taking that and going on in their lives and connecting with it as the book is right now which is awesome you know you know Frank I, I'm 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 a real big believer that you know we all you know we all grieve in our own way and yeah. and and no two people share the same pathway when it comes to dealing with and accepting you know the, the losses and tragedies of, of our lives and and on top of that it's a real arrogant point of view to be critical of someone's journey through grief. And right. so when I'm reading your book and, uh, and, and again, you know, the whole thing about the, the trial and about the eyewitnesses that somehow all of a sudden, you know, no longer materialize and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's like a dateline gone bad. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find it really hard to be critical of where you went with this. Even though, admittedly, yeah. you went down in a very, very dark place yeah. uh, in, in, in this situation. Uh, tell me a, a, a little bit about, you know, your headspace right after the trial to, uh, to turning that decision around and, and uh, getting out of it. Yeah, and um, this is all very honest. And, Michael, just so you know, um, I don't know if you've heard this before in other interviews, but my, as... 
my wife didn't know about this story. Yeah. My family didn't know about this story. I kept it. That was going to the grave with me until this book. But I thought it was important to put out there because people could be going through this stuff and really having that vengeance thing. And I'll be on, I'll go through the story. So after my brother was murdered and I'll, this is where it was for me, Michael, this is what made me snap. And after a lot of therapy, I knew I found out what it was, you know, my brother was murdered with three bullets in him, right? In the Bronx the place I grew up, yep. we go down to the scene and it looks like a film set. It really does. It looks like ambulances, cops, firemen, all big lines of people around. And all of a sudden you, you want to make it like, it's not real. You want it. Cause it, you, it's like a film. It's like, Oh man, this, and that, what you don't want, what you don't want is to look over there and see a family member under that sheet, which I did. Right. And that's the hardest part. So that's what scarred me. And I remember seeing my mom standing alone. It looked like there was a glow on her. And I remember just hugging her with no words being said. I couldn't, there was no words. There were absolutely no words. All I did was hug her and I looked over her shoulder at my brother under the sheet. But what I noticed at that moment, and this is what really screws me up. This is what made me go nuts. The sneakers, he had just bought these brand new white, beautiful white sneakers. He was a big sneaker guy. And I remember he was so proud that he got them. And what made me snap was seeing his blood on them. Yeah. That just went, you know what? From that moment on, Michael, and I, I swear to God on this, I saw black. I saw dark. Anthrax didn't matter. Family didn't matter. Nothing mattered. I didn't care about it. <clears throat> Sorry, I got choked up. But it, um, it, it fucks me up to this day when I even think about that sheet over him. And, this, and seeing those sneakers. So I'm like this. I'm all of a sudden, I'm a different guy. I look like I'm normal, but I'm thinking a whole different thing, dude. So the scene is done. They say they have a witness, everything's going. But what I started the day after that, after that scene, went home 10 o'clock at night for the next two weeks. I had a time, I was zipped up. I, I wore them in a really dark outfit. I started patrolling and hunting in that area, in that area. Now, when I say hunting, it wasn't just me patrolling around. I went and I met the people I never thought I'd be in contact with. You know, you know what I'm talking about, those kind of people. Yep. I had things in my hand that I never thought I have. And I was a hunter. All of a sudden, I didn't give a shit. Frank, I wasn't Frank from Anthrax. I wasn't anybody. I wasn't Frank family, man. I was this vengeance guy. And it was going to happen. I was absolutely waiting, waiting. I knew the places. I knew the coffee shops. And this is two weeks, 10 o'clock, 1030 at night. I get my uniform. I call it my uniform. I was ready and I had it all ready. I, and I'm just sitting out, just waiting like this. I'm just waiting outside a coffee shop that I know that they frequent the uh, alleged, alleged right. uh, guy, killer. So this comes to a point where I'm holding, I'm holding a gun in my hand. I'm holding a gun. Totally. It was horrible. Um, I look and I say, and I, I'm looking at, so nobody's coming out of the coffee shop and I'm looking at the gun. I'm saying, how did I get here? How did I get here? This is, this is me, dude. I want to go play fucking shows. And I'm saying, how did I get here? And then I, then my mom comes into my mind. She's right here, my mom. And I'm, I'm just thinking, look, what happens? What happens to her if I do this? There's only two things that's going to happen, Michael. One or two things, either there's retribution after, if I do this thing, there's going to be retribution. I'm going to be taken out straight out. That's eye for an eye thing, right? Right. Or the other side of it is you go to jail for the rest of your life. 
So we, nobody really went. So all I thought of in this, after two weeks, this is two weeks just staring. I'm saying, and I'm thinking of my mom and, and I'm saying, look, she's going to lose another son. What happens if she loses another son in the same time? She, it's going to take her over the edge. I can't do that. Anthony, rest his soul. He'd be the first one to bitch slap me and say, what the fuck are you doing? You're going to make her lose another son? And that's what really, it, almost like a, like a vacuum, it pulled me out of it. It's like, dude, what, what the fuck am I doing? I, I can't do this. I can't do this because she's going to lose another son. I, I couldn't put that on her. She didn't deserve that. So that pulled me out of it. I went home, dug myself into therapy right after that because I knew I was dark, dude. And I didn't want to, I didn't know the guy that was there. I didn't know who I was. And that's the scariest part. We don't have control because I lost control. And I wanted to get that control back. Well, and, and that was really important. And a, and a good part of the book talks about that journey back. And, and, yeah. and you know, thank, thank God it happened. And, and, you know, if you want to talk about whether it's divine intervention or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know what it was. Doesn't even matter. The fact yeah. that something sparked you to remove yourself from that, that dangerous spot. The fact that you didn't tell your, your family or, 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 or your wife is, is, is interesting. I mean, but, you know, and I understand you know, why, why you would be hesitant to do so. But as you're writing this uh, for the first time, your family and your wife are probably reading that chapter for the first time. What was their reaction when they realized wife, where you had gone? That's a great question because, you know, when we proofread the, the script, you know, the script, the, the, the book, and I'm going through it with my wife, we're reading back and forth to each other. And the first time I remember, I remember her face when she read, I made it, she read that part to me because my voice was going and we were reading it out loud. And I remember her looking up. This is real. And I, I felt like I never hold anything back for my wife. Never. Yeah. But that was dangerous to tell her. Dangerous because it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was this other thing that I was very, very afraid of. I was afraid of it because... I, I didn't have control over it, to be honest. I, I went black and nothing could stop me. The thing, the scary thing is when you're in that zone, it was like an adrenaline thing, dude. It's like, you just went, it didn't matter. So yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't tell her. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my family because they would have stopped it immediately. They would have had people come get me out of that car and that wouldn't have been good for me. So, um, it was, it was almost like for her, I felt horrible not telling her. But I was I was doing it to protect her, to be honest. And um, look, I'm not a, I'm not proud of it. I'm no tough guy. I am not a tough guy. That was different. That was a different game. That was for my brother. But it's an interesting lesson uh, for people because you know when when things do get dark for some for some folks, and it, it could be any number of things that provoke it. You know, even the worst of times, if you allow it to be, are temporary conditions. You know, you can always well get, well, thank you. I mean, you can always get beyond the toughest things if you are amenable to those kinds of changes and, and to, to, to seek help. I mean, you're, yeah, you didn't tell your, your wife or your family, but you did seek help between that moment to the day you wrote the book. And yeah, you know, to absolutely. me, you know, that's the whole, that's the whole key. That's the whole explanation. And and you, it, it kind of answers our question from before. Why, why, why did you put everything out there? Because if somebody reads that, right, and see that dark place I was in, and the whole point of the book is you get off of the floor, brush yourself off, and move towards tomorrow. You know, that's that's it. Because that's life. I have a son. I have a 15-year-old son. I want to be there for him. 
as my dad wasn't, you know what I mean? So it yeah. means everything to me. I didn't have my son at the time with Anthony's murder, but in the future, I thought, man, I'm going to ruin everything. And for that dark place, if anybody's in it, I mean, look, I'm not preaching. This is my, this is the story that I lived. I'm just saying it's possible. You can get up from the floor, brush yourself off and you got to move on. That's the truth. And that's what I want to teach my son. It's a good, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a remarkable lesson for a kid to learn, to know yeah. that, uh, you know, mom and dad are human and we feel feelings yeah. and it's all important. You know, it, it, we make mistakes and yeah. look, and that was a mistake, dude. I, I never want to, I'm, I'm not interested in that stuff at all. I, at all. I never want to do it again. I never want to do anything like that. I don't recommend it to anybody. Believe me. That was a scary time that I needed clarity. Clarity. Now that the book has been out, what's been the reaction to that part of it? I mean, obviously everything else in the book and, you know, you know, the music, the, the, the stories of, uh, you with, uh, you know, Daryl and kiss and, Everything else was a great stories, but you know, you know, this part of the book is the part where I think you know people are probably taken aback the most, and if they're going to react to something either negatively or positively, this is the chapter that's going to happen. What what has been the reaction from people over this? Thankfully, I'll tell you what I wanted to do, and the reason why I did these these stories and I, I said these stories and let it all out is because I wanted a reaction. I wanted the reaction of people connecting with that in their life. Wow, that's, that's, he went dark, he went down, he was down. And that's the truth. I'm just, look, you can't be any more honest. Why not help people and say, look, yeah, I was there, but guess what? Move on. And reaction has been, has been wonderful. The reviews have been great for the book. I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed. Uh, I want to, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's given it a chance. I think, I think people were expecting, oh, there's a rock and roll book coming out. And from what I'm hearing, they're, they're understanding what I wanted to do with it. It's really paying it forward and saying, look, this is, uh, you know, I want to, I want to, son, I want to tell my son, this is what your dad did and never say I should have. And you move on, you, you get knocked down in this life, you move on. And that's what people can do. It's not a self-help book. My story, if it could help you, dude, I'm all about it. I hope, uh, I hope one day you and I can uh, actually have a talk and talk nothing but music, but I, but I, you know, this is the. I this would is, love it. That would be great because I, I, I got I, th I think we probably have more connective material between us than I'm than, sure than we've uh, we've hit on today. But it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Frank. I mean, I, I am very, very happy having read the book, knowing that I was going to talk to you today and knowing that, you know, he, here's a guy who is just another guy, but louder. And and that's a real <laughs> I love joy. That line, dude. You, I love you, that. Take it. You, you don't even have to source it. Just just. Take it, run with it. We'll know. Just between you and me. We'll know, but my mom's gonna have a great laugh on that one. I'm gonna call my mom tonight, and she's gonna. She's always saying you're so loud. I'm. I love that. I'm gonna say he. Michael said this to me. It's gonna be great. I'm looking forward to that. I'll put a smile on her face tonight, which is awesome. That'll be great, Frank. It's very nice to meet you. Best of luck with the book, and I can't wait for the there, next. Michael. Thank you. Can't wait for the next album and the tour. Me too, dude. Thank you, and thank you for getting the book. I appreciate it, dude. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Be safe out there. You too. So I think that went very well. Hey, listen, uh, check out Frank's book, uh, Fathers, Brothers, and Sons, Surviving Anguish, Abandonment, and Anthrax. It's a great book. I hope you like it. And I also hope you like the podcast. If you did, feel free to like it, review it, share it with all your friends. You can also email me at BaxterRock102.com or find me all over social media. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.